When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we'll tackle your questions on lunch table etiquette, owning up to screwing up, (laughs) ditching dinner last minute, brand bashing, and we'll tackle how to handle open office environment etiquette in our postscript. All that plus a timely election-themed salute coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning, and we're from the Emily Post Institute. hey Hi-o. How was your weekend? Awesome. Yeah. How was yours? It was good. You were a house guest this weekend. I was. I've never been to Newport, Rhode Island. No? No. No. You're So tell our lovely listeners what you were up to. Uh, this weekend I joined Pooja and her family for a family gathering that we're hoping to make an annual event. Oh, that's nice. Now that the families are getting bigger and bigger and more and more spread out. Pooja's sister has a baby and you guys are on your way to having a baby. So there's a little more common sort of life experience going on here exactly and this was something new for all of us and it was so much fun but we were practicing all being travel companions all being co-house guests together i like how you said we were practicing (laughs) and we did so good you did so well that's awesome we did so well thank you very much that was not an actual correction that was just my brain going there sorry no thank you for helping me out on a a tuesday morning Um, so you guys did well. You had a good house guest experience. Everybody was traveling well and communicating well together. It was like a success. We planned activities. We took care of dogs. We took care of babies. We barbecued. We had meals in. We had meals out. We went to the beach. We took walks on the cliffs. Oh, my gosh. We toured the Tennis Hall of Fame and the estates that are such a signature feature of Newport. It was uh, a busy three days and so much fun, and yet it felt relaxing. Oh, good. See, that's the biggest thing, is even when you're on the go, 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 do you feel like you had a break? Do you feel like you're coming home refreshed? We did, and I really appreciated Pooja's sister, Jaya, had said before we went that she really wanted to make that a point of emphasis. That Oh, that's nice. She really wanted this to be a time where everyone could feel refreshed and could 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 make time to carve out whatever they needed. And I think that really created some space. It created the allowance for us to interact better. It almost made it easier to do group things, to know that it wasn't expected. And as the one who had kind of organized everything, found the house, told everybody who was coming, I think it really is Jaya's place to step up and say, hey guys, I really want everyone to have a good time. What are people interested in? I think it's good that she was kind of like the ringleader of the group, you know, and and that people allowed her to be that way too. It's very easy when you vacation with mom and dad and siblings for parents to just automatically step into that leadership role. And it's really nice when oldest sister was the one who kind of organized it all to allow her to be the one to kind of get people going and be the master of ceremonies for the weekend, you know? Sort of a, a, a micro-hosting yes, role. Yes, totally. Within a shared hosting environment. Yeah. Yeah, no, bravo to the, the Gupta Appentang family. <laughs> Very nice. Well, I'm sure some of our listeners have some questions. Shall we uh, get on with the show? Absolutely. But why? Why does it matter? For several reasons. Look, maybe I can show you. On every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. And if you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or give us a call and leave a message at 802-866-0860. Our first question today is called Lackluster Lunching. Dear Lizzie and Dan, 
I work on an eight-person team at a school. In the past year, we have had significant staffing changes and now have four new members on the team. There are three teachers who have been working closely together for the past few years. They are wonderful teachers and have developed very close social bonds outside of school as well. Traveling together, during breaks, going to movies, etc. There are times when they seem exclusive in the way they speak to each other. For example, when the entire team is seated at the same lunch table, these three teachers often fall into conversations and make no effort to invite others in by providing a context or explanation for their topic. While I understand that the entire table doesn't have to talk about the same thing, our meals together often devolve into an us-and-them split, usually with the newer members of the team and I having our own conversation. On those rare occasions, when we do touch upon a shared topic, the remarks given by the three teachers seem flat, and they seem eager to continue talking animatedly among themselves. I feel like I am the only senior member of the team making an effort to broaden the conversation by asking questions of all my table mates, showing interest in their answers, etc. How can I encourage my fellow teachers with seniority to do the same? Best, Stella. Stella, I love your spirit that you want everyone to be on the same team, that you want everybody to be friends. That being said, I want to put this point out there that at work, and this is something we've we've heard of many times before, your breaks are really your breaks. And it's not a time where you have to be engaged in team building or and maybe not even team building in this. I don't get the sense that Stella's sitting here like we all need to be the best of friends. But I do think that it's important to remember that breaks are breaks at work and they are that time that you can reserve for yourself. And if these three teachers really aren't interested in socializing with the rest of the team, they don't have to. I would love for them to, on certain occasions, you know, jump in on other conversations or open things up to the whole group. And and doing that, you know, once a month or every couple of weeks is totally appropriate and, and would be a good thing to see from them. But if their behavior really isn't indicating that that's the way they want to play, you know, you can't make them. And maybe you try to bond with them in other ways so that eventually a whole group dynamic can happen. But these teachers have been together for it sounds like longer than the rest of the group, and it might just be a little natural for them to kind of move into, I don't want to say a click, but you know what I'm trying to say, that move into some close-knit territory with each other. They just might not be that interested in, in spending their break with the whole team. The word that sort of jumped out at to me as, as you were talking Please. was the word eventually. And there's, there's a... Yeah. A certain amount of patience that might be required in a situation like this for relationships to grow naturally and that over time that's going to happen as shared experiences at work bring you closer and closer together. I think that the the social bonds and maybe the opportunities for some of the connections that happen outside work will start to present themselves as well. I do think there's something going on here. There there were a couple of things within the question that I sort of keyed on that, that do start to indicate to me some some potentially problematic etiquette. And Let's get into them. That's the exclusionary sort of note that I'm picking up here, that yes. even when you're sitting at the same table, that very flat effect when the person that you're not in, not as interested in engaging socially says something and you engage, but you don't really engage. Yeah, it is. It's. I love the word flat that you use because it describes it so well. Everything just falls flat. You're like, it's like you say something and they'll say comment on a show or something like that that you all watch and, and the other three teachers will go, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then... And then it's silent for a minute and then you're kind of like, okay, you don't want me talking about this with you. All right, I get it. Thanks. And that's rude. And it can feel really hurtful. Yeah. <laughs> and those hurt feelings can start to be problematic in the workplace. So there's definitely sort of a balancing act between respecting someone's privacy and right to have their own time and space and yep. friends and what what actually becomes rude behavior. Right. So the spirit that I want to tackle that particular instance of rudeness in is help them help you. If they're being rude like that, give them the time. Give, give them, them the, the time space. to enjoy their yeah. social click. Get the, give them the time to enjoy those bonds of friendship that have grown over time. And there will be other opportunities to grow those relationships, grow those friendships. That's why I liked your idea that eventually have a little patience. It should start to open up. I think that if you try to confront them over it and try to push the friendship aspect or the team building aspect, like you say, you might get more resistance or some some pushback that that actually ends up emphasizing the divide more. It's 
It's something where I want to find a really subtle solution. And Well, one of the other things with that subtlety is that this might take a lot of time. We don't know from from the question how long those three teachers have been teaching together. But when they first started out, they might not have been all friends and it might have taken years for them to get to that place. And I would um, encourage you to be really patient with building this relationship and to really think of it not as something that's going to happen in two months time. It might be something that happens over years. I And I can remember feeling that way about certain people I've worked with over the years and how it's really funny, but it is like years later that we really did develop a close bond and that we did share lunches or that we did get together outside of work. You know, it's something to remember that these things take a lot of time. They don't just happen right off the bat. And you have such a great spirit, Stella, of wanting to be inclusive and wanting to be included. And I can feel how much it doesn't feel good at the lunch table right now. I don't know. Dan and I, our advice is give it time. Try to jump into having relationships. You might better form bonds with these these three one-on-one at first. It might be something where when you can have a coffee break or you guys do both have the same free period, you could lean on them for help or ask them for some advice or say, hey, I'd love your thoughts on this. Those kind of things are ways to invite someone into getting to know you professionally that then eventually can also lead towards having that good professional relationship where at the lunch table they do want to engage and talk with you. Um, And that can just be kind of a soft way to get in on that um, without having to feel like it's a forced lunch table group time together when it is, in fact, your lunch break. I really like that approach, Lizzie. It's such a positive way to to think about building these relationships in a situation where someone else's lack of social awareness is starting to have the potential to negatively impact the workplace. We really hope that helps, and the high school lunchroom who sits with who phenomenon doesn't impact your life too, too much. Our next question is titled Brand Bashing, and I like this one because what happens to our listener is fairly overt, but I think this can be a really subtle thing that people don't realize can be insulting. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. I discovered your podcast about five months ago, and I downloaded all of the episodes, and your advice made my solo drive from North Pole, Alaska to Fort Worth, Texas much more pleasant. Woo! That is a big drive. Congratulations on making it. My dilemma is this. I would like to have a script in my mental library for the times when people, usually a salesperson, replies to a mention of my possessions with, I'm sorry, Example number one, I went into a computer repair shop with my husband. My husband is a PC person and I'm an Apple fan. We have a mixed marriage, but we make it work. When mention was made of my Apple computer, a new laptop that I was very excited about, the salesperson's reply was, I'm sorry. Ooh, that's not fun. Example number two, I went into a music store that specializes in pianos and they sell some very fine instruments. When asked what kind of instrument I had, I replied with the brand name and model number. Again, a beautiful instrument that I scrimped and saved to purchase, and I am very proud of it. And the salesman replied, I'm sorry. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. 
you'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories. Some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. While I know that each salesman was trying to be funny to me, it was an insult of my choices. In both cases, I was so taken aback that I let the comments slide and then vented privately to my husband later. I would like to have words at the ready to express the way I feel, firmly yet kindly. In both cases, I have decided to take my business elsewhere, but in the case of the piano salesman, I will probably have reason to see him again. Please give me a suggested appropriate response. Sincerely, brand bashing. Oh, brand bashing. I think we feel your pain. And um, a true Mac fanboy here. I uh, think that yeah. your choices are excellent. Um, <laughs> we support you. <laughs> I, I think this is this is very simple. As I was hearing Lizzie read your question, I was thinking, boy, I, I think that you minimize it, but you don't necessarily buy into their framing of the situation. I think something as simple as, you know, I love it. Or, oh, don't be sorry. I love my computer. Don't be sorry. I love my instrument it yeah. is perfectly appropriate. And then you move on and you say to yourself, you know, I wonder about this person's judgment about these things. And maybe they're not the right salesman for me to be talking to about this particular purchase. And that's a perfectly reasonable approach to take. And it's a great reminder to everyone out there, the consequences of negativity, that you just never know how it's going to land. And a piece of critical feedback we sometimes get at the Emily Post Institute is, boy, you're, you're awfully optimistic. Do you really <laughs> expect people to be that pie in the sky, that optimistic all the time? And I say, I don't expect it, but I don't think it's an unreasonable way to conduct yourself. In fact, I, I recommend it and I feel good recommending it because that negativity really does sting and it hurts. And you never know when it's going to corrupt a relationship if you don't really know the other person well and you don't have an established rapport where where you can judge and assess how something's going to be taken. Absolutely. And I love your sample script. I think it works beautifully. You know, anytime that you can not get heated under the collar when you hear one of those. See, this is the funny thing is that we can give you all the sample scripts you want, but being able to use them in the moment. And that's that's where I don't. I'm always a little like I think about it, you know, on the stairs afterwards. There's a great French phrase about that and I always forget what it is. But and people on this show have actually reminded me of it year one. But it, it is that thing where you want to be able to confidently and calmly say it. So practice it a few times. Have your husband give you the jab line and practice saying it so that you can deliver it really well. I will fully admit, I would probably have a tendency to say, oh, gee, I'm so sorry you're sorry. I love my instrument and I'm so pleased with it with a big grin and a little bit of a dagger in my eye. But practicing saying it without that dagger is a really great way to know that when it comes time to deliver the line well, you, you'll you be able to. Um, and I think it is important for you to, to take a minute and stand up. And it's good for those sales salespeople to be reminded that, hey, you don't have to insult my choices or my partner's choices in order to make a sale here or to prove that your stuff is better. In fact, it does the exact opposite. Brand bashing, we hope that helps and that you continue to enjoy your computer and your instrument and any other choices that you make moving forward. Our next question is titled Birthday Blues. Dear Awesome Etiquette, I'm in need of some gifting advice. I looked through the podcast and didn't find my particular situation. Here it is. My brother and his wife usually send my twin daughters a birthday gift each year. In kind, I send birthday gifts to their daughters. This year, they sent neither card nor gift. They also didn't acknowledge their birthdays with a phone call. My sister-in-law texted my daughter to say her present was on the way, but this was not true. My daughters are upset, not that they didn't get a gift, but that they feel forgotten by their only aunt and uncle on their birthday. My niece's birthdays are coming up. Do I send gifts or not? Thank you for your advice. Lori. 
I think that this really depends on how you personally look at gift giving. I can totally, first of all, understand Lori's frustration, her disappointment, the disappointment she feels on behalf of her daughters, but also the disappointment in her brother and his wife. Because it does. It, it falls flat. It feels like you were forgotten. It just it feels yucky. Let's just say it. It feels yucky. Well, and th- that the present is coming and then it doesn't arrive. And it doesn't. That's just, you know, we all know that that's just lame. And it is. But I really think that you need to think deeply right now about how you view gift giving. Do you only give because someone gives to you? I'm going to be a little tough with you right now, Lori. Knowing how sad your daughters were, do you want your niece to feel the same way? Just because her parents aren't on top of things this year for your daughters? I feel like by not sending a birthday gift, you're going to punish your niece when really the people you're upset with are her parents. And so if, if I were in your shoes, I would keep the focus on celebrating your niece and talk to your daughters about how sometimes people have a tough year. Sometimes there are things that just based on the week or the, the time of the year, whatever it is, things get difficult and things fall through the cracks. And clearly your aunt and uncle wanted to do something for you. They haven't followed through on it. It doesn't mean they don't love you. It doesn't mean they aren't interested, but it does mean that, yes, this year they didn't step up to the plate. And Let's make sure that your your cousin doesn't feel that way, that your cousin knows that she's loved and remembered and that we're excited to celebrate her on her birthday. I'm over here shaking my head. Yeah. I want to give that answer a gold star. I really liked that. In fact, you, you inspired even more patience in me. At first, I was thinking that maybe Lori would want to talk to the parents. And totally an option, especially because she said the the gift was coming and it hasn't arrived. She can follow up and check in on that. I, and I was going to ask you exactly yeah. that. And as you were talking, I was saying to myself, you know, this is a long-term relationship. This is a familial relationship, a sibling relationship. And the as I listened to you explain, how, uh, talk about how you would explain to your daughter about why it's still important to send a gift and I was thinking to myself, you know, th- those are all the reasons why this might not happen. And you might even just let it slide for a year. I think so. And see, you know, how, how does next year go? There, there's going to be birthdays. It's moving forward. And maybe next year it picks back up again. And this was just a mistake. Maybe the package just didn't arrive this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that patience might pay off in the long run. And if it continues to happen, if you really start to feel like there's an imbalance, you might talk to your siblings about how you want to handle gift giving as the kids get older. Yes, Absolutely. And you could frame the whole conversation in a different way, not around a problem that emerged, but on on making parenting decisions and making decisions within the family about how you want to do birthdays and how you want the cousins to be interacting as they get older. Absolutely. And if you do want to check in on that gift because your sister-in-law said that it was coming and had told your daughter that it was coming, it's perfectly OK to say, you know, Jill, I just wanted to check in because I, I didn't want you to have sent something and had it not show up or not get lost in translation. And you're sitting here waiting for a thank you from us. But I did just want to let you know, Julie had mentioned that the gift was on its way and we hadn't seen anything yet. And it's totally OK if, if there's not something coming, but didn't want to think that you had purchased something, sent it and were wondering if you were ever going to get a thank you or had it shown up or not. So just wanted to touch base with you on it. And that's all. (laughs) Lori, we hope that that helps and we hope it gives you some avenues both to deal with this situation in the moment and also moving forward. But truly, what we really hope is that you can have fun celebrating your niece with a lot of joy and excitement for her birthday. But there's more. What's that? More questions coming up, but first, a word from our sponsor. Here, let's try another trick. Our next question is titled, Owning Up to Screwing Up. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I'm new to the show and totally enamored with it, thanks to my wonderful friend Sarah, who recommended it to me. Thank you, Sarah, for recommending your po- or a podcast to your friend. Indeed. I have a question about apologizing when you've screwed up managing expectations, and using appropriate language to describe the extent to which you've screwed up. I heard you speak on a recent episode about not blowing things out of proportion when you have difficult news to share, and I was recently in a situation where I questioned whether I was being accurate or catastrophic. (laughs) 
My amazing landlord recently asked me to dog sit for him while he was on vacation. While staying in his apartment and taking care of his lovely old dog, I did some not insignificant damage to a piece of antique furniture, completely by accident, but I was horrified. I emailed him right away to let him know what had happened and offered to pay to repair or replace the item. I really struggled when writing the email to accurately explain how badly I had damaged this thing. I knew it was important to tell him what had happened so he wouldn't be surprised upon his return. And I wanted to convey my full apologies for what I knew was a big mistake that might be upsetting. But I also did not want to alarm him unnecessarily. Poor guy is on vacation after all. I'm wondering if you could share some tips for accurately conveying the severity of a situation when you know you're clearly in the wrong. How do you manage the expectations of the person you're apologizing to while also expressing a full, sincere I'm sorry? Is email even the right place to do this? Unfortunately, I know this won't be the last time I have to apologize for screwing up, so I expect this might be a kind of evergreen tip. Thanks, Allison. Oh, Allison, I will confess, I had a very similar situation happen to me at one point. I w- <laughs> is this the koi fish story? This is the koi fish oh, story. It, w- it was a nightmare. It was um, it, it was the, the, the worst thing that could happen. I was house-sitting for uh, a family that I love dearly, for a woman who took care of me like a second mother. And they had a koi fish pond, and I didn't know anything about koi fish. And I, I did the usual. I, I fed them on schedule. I... I I didn't even make what I could identify as a mistake, but I showed up one morning and those koi fish were no longer alive. And when I tried to look into replacing them, I found out that you couldn't, that they were not replaceable, at least it's not. It's like $15,000 worth of fish. At least. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was, it was, uh, these were living animals that I was meant to be, that were, they were part of my you responsibility. You were supposed to keep them alive. Yeah. And I did exactly what you did in this situation. I made an effort to contact them on vacation. I didn't want them to come home and be shocked and surprised by what they found on their return. I wanted to prepare them. I wanted to give them a little bit of heads up. Mm-hmm. And I did it the best way that I could. I wasn't able to reach them by phone at that point. So yeah. I think I got them a message by email. I think that was the way that I did it. Yeah. And the way that I would structure that acknowledgement is that you let them know that you're taking care of it as best you can, that mm-hmm. whenever you bring a problem to anyone, you bring them a solution. You also give them permission to contact you if they need to or to enjoy the rest of their vacation if that would work better for them. You, you let them know that, that, that you're available and you're responsible to respond in the, the way that's going to be best for them mm-hmm. so that you're also bringing solutions to the situation mm-hmm. as well as making them aware of a problem. It, it is it is unfortunate and you are going to be interrupting them on what is their vacation, what was ideally hopefully going to be smooth and easy a good sailing. Time. Yeah. And then you do everything you can to repair or fix the situation and they may or may not accept that help. Right. As far as the sincerity of the apology, I think that you do that in person upon their return. That your genuine concern is showed by the way that you interact with them and that you own it. You show up, you look them in the eye, magic words are magic. You you talk to them and you let your humanity show through and you do it with your presence as well as your words. <laughs> I think I want to add a couple things to that because I I like Mm. everything that you said, especially about sincerity and kind of finding the balance between what's really going to disturb them on their vacation and what's actually they need to know. And one thing that you can do next time is to ask them ahead of time, if anything does go wrong that doesn't require you coming home, do you want to know while you're on vacation or would you rather wait to find out upon your return? I'm I'm happy to tell you all the details of what goes on, good and bad, but I'd love to know what you prefer because I know different people have different wishes. Some people are like, no, I really need this break. I can handle anything that you might have done or that might have happened once I get back. Or they'll say... I want to know if my dog needs to go to the emergency room, but if you break a vase, I don't need to know about it. And that's just a good check-in. It's a good house sitter check-in. One of the other things that you can do, especially in this case where it's a piece of antique furniture that might need special repair and the person is is only going to want to go to certain people to have it repaired— I would put that in the body of the email, say I can get started on having a trusted source that, you know, repair this or we can wait until you get home. I'd just like to know what your preference is. Um, Always asking their preference is a really good thing to go for. 
One of the other things to think of when it comes to that email and not making it sound catastrophic is emails are always going to come out a little more neutral or negative than you intend them to. So um, I would not advise using a lot of exclamation points to try to make it positive or smiley faces, but I would I would be very clear and very simple with whatever the problem was. Um, I just wanted to let you know that, unfortunately, I had a little bit of an accident and there was some damage done to the right arm of the chair. It will need an expert opinion to assess the damage. You know, that kind of language where you're not like, oh, my gosh, and then and it looks so bad and I'm so sorry when really it's only a scratch might be the catastrophic that you're talking about. And I think pulling as much emotion out of it as possible in the actual description of what went wrong is a good thing. Always reassuring them that everything is okay. The dog is healthy and alive. I've had issues where the person's dog had to be taken to the vet. And the first thing I always start out with, I want you to know Rover is completely okay and everything will be fine, but he did go eat a bunny from the woods and he was throwing up all night or whatever it is, you know. But you want to keep it simple. You don't you don't want to blow it out of proportion with a million apologies. The other thing that if if whatever happened is fairly severe, like a dead koi fish pond, I might even offer, and we suggest this in our business etiquette seminars, (laughs) depending on the problem, uh, we suggest that you offer to be relieved of the duties if that's what they would wish. So you can say, I have a backup person, or if you have someone else that you would like to come and relieve me of this, I completely understand I hope it doesn't come to that. I hope you can trust that this will go well for the rest of the trip. But it is something to offer. That way they can understand, hey, if it's what's going to make us feel comfortable, we're going to run with that and that'll be okay. I really like the way you've bracketed the situation, the way you have the the preventive step ahead of time, where part of your house sitting duties checklist is how do you want me to handle uh, an emergency situation or if something comes up? Yeah, I think that is really wise advice. We always say an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. I also really like the idea of the bracket on the severe end of things also. Yeah. That you you give them the option of your willingness to find someone else to pick up if they really don't feel comfortable with you continuing to to play the role or do the job. And they rarely take you up on that, just so you know. But just in case. Absolutely. And, and, and right in the meat of your solution <laughs> was something else that reminded me that I started doing research on koi fish. Yeah. Instantly. And they wanted to do their own research on koi fish. Turned out they had inherited these koi with the house when they had bought it. They were that old. It was really, I'm telling you, <laughs> can you tell I'm still torn about this? And Allison, you may remember this forever. You may remember this antique piece of furniture for a long, long time. Yeah. Um, I learned a lot about koi fish. They learned a lot about koi fish. It turned out... <laughs> It wasn't something they necessarily wanted to replace. So right. it was good that I hadn't run out and spent a lot of time and trying to do it in their absence. Yeah. Take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. Remind yourself of that. Panic slowly and conduct yourself with honesty and as little drama as possible. And things should work out fine. We really hope that helps and that that helps everyone who finds themselves in a difficult situation moving forward. Our final question is a a quickie but a goodie. (laughs) It's titled, Ditching Dinner? My husband and I have been invited to a cookout along with two other couples we've never met. We know the hosts. Anyway, it's in two hours and my husband has found out that he has to work this evening. So do I need to attend alone? I have an appetizer to take. Sincerely, Renee. You certainly don't need to attend alone, but you're free to. (laughs) And... I would still go to the party. You've made a dish. Your host is expecting both you and the dish. Your husband's unexpected work has come up and has delayed him, but that doesn't necessarily need to delay you also. Um, Do you have to go? You never have to do anything. You could use this as an opportunity to, to not go if you want to, but I would let your host know instantaneously. I would apologize for being unable to make it and... That's the best you can do in a situation where you can't make it. So Dan's advice is totally spot on, and I'm going to be a little tougher. Is it? Can I do that? Can I just jump in with a little, like, harder line here? You can. Okay. Just because you're in a couple doesn't mean that when one of you can't attend something, the other can't go. And I think that two hours before a party, when you're supposed to be supplying a dish and someone has prepped for you coming— that sure, your husband can't go. That's that's totally understandable. That is like really great. But you can go. 
And I think take yourself out of that. Push your comfort limits just a little bit. You know the host, so you know people there. You know, in fact, you know the people who are hosting it. You know the best people there. And go out and get to know these other two couples and provide that dish. You know, some people might say, well, you could always go drop off the dish. That way the dish is there. And I say, if you're going to go drop off the dish, go to the party. And I, I just want to give you the encouragement to say, you know, go go out there. Have a fun evening. Meet some new people. You can tell your husband all about it when when you both get home later that night. And I say just just pluck up the courage and go. I'm actually really curious as to what Renee wound up doing because she says that the party's in two hours. So we're yeah. we're now behind the point at this point. But I'm just I'm kind of I hope she writes back in and tells us what she did one way or the other and what she'd want to do next time based on what she did this time. So, Renee, call out to you, please write back to us. I agree, Renee. I'm so curious. How did this turn out? Thank you for your questions. And don't forget, please send us updates and comments to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-866-0860. You can also hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want your comment or question on the show. You mean that's all there is, just what we've talked about? Oh, no. You can learn still more by watching Mother and Dad and other people who have good manners. Have we told you lately how much we love the feedback section of this show? Maybe we should tell you again. (laughs) It not only lets us know about the impact our advice is having on you, you know, whether or not it actually works, but it gives you a chance to share your etiquette wisdom with us and make the show even stronger. We can't always get to every single point and we don't always have them in the moment. So when you fill that in for us, we love it. It expands the options and it helps our audience. And our producer, Chris Roberts, is here, and Chris has been combing through all your comments and input and advice, and he's going to share some with us. Hi, Chris. Hi, you guys. Hey. I am going to begin with a listener named Mac, who responded to your discussion of public displays of affection, or PDA, by (laughs) a young amorous couple on public transit. That was in episode 70, by the way. I remember that one. That was a great question. Mac writes... As a mature listener, here's a perspective through my lens. I'd like to have the couple put themselves in the shoes of their fellow travelers and consider the impact their behavior might have on others. After my divorce, it was difficult for me to see couples kissing in public places. When my brother died, it was painful for me to see other men with young sons. The bus is not a place for exhibitionists. There are fellow humans who are put off, saddened, or amused by such behavior for lots of reasons. I'm genuinely happy for this pair who seem to be quite young, in love, and very playful. But public transit is not the place to get it on. Decorum people. Hold hands, whisper to each other, offer a peck on the cheek, but no more. Please have the love fest at home before boarding the bus and then be respectful to others when in their presence. Once we step outside our homes, we no longer are private people. We become part of the masses and our actions should show respect to others. Read a book, listen to podcasts, talk, discuss plans, offer your seats to elders, pregnant women. Please tone it down with respect, Mac. And you can see that Mac feels pretty strongly about this. Dan, do we have to remind you and Pooja about this on public transport? Are you two that couple? I hope not. I'm I'm doing a little (laughs) self-check right now. (laughs) (laughs) I could see the wheels spinning in your head. It's funny. It's such a tough line because I remember this couple and I remember... They kind of would lean into each other, you know, arms embraced. And I think that that's perfectly appropriate. But I think when you really start to, there's those longing looks into the eyes or the long kisses or maybe hands are really roaming. I think that's when you really start to push the limits. So like he said, you know, a peck on the cheek, um, arm arm in arm kind of sitting together, totally fine. Uh, But talk to each other, you know, don't don't be all over each other in public. And, and I want to also jump in and thank Mac from a personal perspective yeah. uh, for the reminder about um, privacy and yeah. that that privacy is, is the whole notion of privacy is shifting in our world as we live more public lives around more and more people and um, having a little uh, respect for the privacy of others and for yourself, I think, is is really important. So thank you, Mac, for that reminder. 
I think we definitely all continually need that reminder. Next, we heard from a listener named Mora, who's relatively new to the show and was inspired to write by something she heard in the 100th episode about in-law etiquette. And Mora says, I'm in the midst of an in-law situation right now that is absolutely riddled with bad etiquette, and I've struggled with how to respond. Hearing the episode this morning inspired me to reach out to the person who was the most disrespectful in this situation. Instead of telling her off, which, to be honest, I would have loved to do, I simply told her that my feelings were hurt and why. This was by text, which I know is imperfect, but with this particular person, it seems to be safer and less likely to escalate. I was ready for a defensive reply, but she responded with, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. By no means. Sometimes my tone and saying stuff doesn't come out the way I mean. She went on to describe how she'll approach the situation differently in the future. It was a good reminder that she does mean well. It's her delivery that often stinks. Anyway, thought you'd like to know that your efforts are making a difference. You are indeed making the world more kind. Mora. I'm so glad to hear that. That's the best kind of thing. And and even, you know, you, you chose your method of reaching out for a reason. And more than anything, that's what Dan and I think is really smart, is that if it makes sense to reach out this way, then use that method. And Mara, I just want to give you the feedback that it sounds like you're helping to make this world a little more kind. So thank you for your efforts and thank you for letting us know how it went. Now, before I go, Lizzie and Dan, I have a question for you. Oh. Ooh. I want you to try to guess what atrocious producer etiquette I committed when I was introduced on my debut episode as producer. Wait a second. What are you talking about? I thought... I thought we had a pretty... We talked about your favorite food. We talked about cereal. We talked about... What? I can't think of anything. I'm not noticing any anything. What, what, what do you think was not good behavior on your part? Well, you're being very kind and generous, but I failed to recognize and thank my predecessor producer, Hans Buto, for the incredible job he did laying the foundation for the show and building on it, and building on it, and bringing it to where it is today, and then handing the baton to me. And Hans, I just wanted to say to you, I uh, really hope and will try extremely hard to live up to your high standards. I just wanted to get that in because Hans is great, and he deserves a lot of credit for how this show is going, uh, in addition to you two, of course. Well, he certainly is, and he certainly does. So um, thank you for sharing that that really generous thought. But we in no way thought that you neglected him, just as a heads up. Like, you were totally in good <laughs> etiquette territory. But I like the attention to detail and the, you know, trying to pay honors where they are very, very much so due. But I, um, I, I wouldn't beat yourself up over it, as we often say. So put your mind at ease. <laughs> To make a good impression, you must know what to do. It's time for the Postscript segment where we explore the exciting nuance of a single piece of etiquette. And today, Dan is going to talk to us about open office environment etiquette. The inspiration for this section uh, is due a little bit to a question we got from Julia, who wrote in wondering about open office etiquette. And this is a a back to school time. And for many people, it's a back to work time. So we're thinking with our, our work hats on, it might be a good time to revisit it. As many of you know, we also record our podcast at Vermont Public Radio, which has recently gone through a large expansion. And they've expanded and introduced an open office environment that everyone is working in and sharing together from the president to interns. So it's something we've been thinking about. We talked to the staff here at VPR about it a little while ago, and it's something I'm going to be talking about next week at a business seminar. So a couple of tips for those open office environments. One of the first ones is to keep your area clean. We're all comfortable with different levels of cleanliness or tidiness even. And sometimes it's really important to remember that your standards aren't everyone's standards and you need to think about what those common standards are. You need to be a little bit of a detective. You need to look around you and see how other people are managing, but you also need to hold yourself accountable, whatever you're seeing around you. Think about what a common standard is that you could live with and try to apply that standard to yourself. 
this might also involve displaying appropriate decorations. And that could be anything from humor or personal photographs that were something you could maybe get away with in a private office or a more private workspace. But in a public situation, you want to give those things an extra eye. That, that's a, a look that goes beyond just tidiness or cleanliness. You definitely want to think about your volume in open office environments. If at all possible, you want to avoid the use of speaker phones or uh, microphones that are too far away from you or that seem to push you or inspire you to talk louder. One of the most common complaints of coworkers in an open office environment is people talking too loudly on their phones. In fact, it is also one of the identifiable um, etiquette mistakes that bosses and supervisors are concerned about. So if you play music, definitely use headphones, but also be sure that you know what the policy is about use of headphones and be sure that people around you know how to approach you if you've got headphones in. Sometimes that's a signal to the people around you that you don't want to be interrupted. And if you're meant to be responsible to the people around you, then you definitely want to let people know that it's okay to tap you on the shoulder to get your attention because they're not necessarily going to be able to talk to you to get your attention. I always love that that point just because because you don't have a door to close in an open office environment. Here at VPR, they have little conference rooms that they could go to if you really have to concentrate or or not be disturbed by others. But those aren't always free and available. So I love that idea of either having a company-wide suggested way to handle it when people do have headphones in or just letting people know that tapping you on the shoulder, getting your attention somehow is really appropriate in this situation. You don't want to isolate yourself with technology by sticking earbuds in your ears, and you also don't want to project your technology on other people by talking on a speakerphone or using a, an open microphone when you're doing a video call on your computer. So the, the final real tip that I want to leave you with is the way that you manage approaching people in their workspace is a, a, an issue that pops up. In the old cubicle environment, we used to talk about Jack putting his head over the cubicle and talking to you from the other side of a, a partition or a half wall. Today, in, in, in open office environments, it might be just the way you approach someone who's working at their desk. But the, the idea is that you want to ask someone for their attention. You want to figure out a way to get permission to talk to somebody. And that can be as simple as, hi, I was wondering about something is now a good time and give someone an opportunity to say, no, I'm really focusing on this for a minute. If you don't have a scheduled time to talk to them, think of it as the knock on a door. If someone were sitting in a private office and their door were closed, how would you approach them? Would you just walk up and open that door and walk in? No, probably not. You would knock and then you would hear, oh, come in, open the door and in you'd go. I'm a big fan of right off the bat getting the words, is this a good timeout? We have this ha happen even in our office where a lot of times one of us, I'm guilty of it. We're all guilty of it. So we all do it. So I don't feel bad sharing it. But of you kind of walk up and stand in the doorway until you're noticed. And it's actually a good thing to say, excuse me, is it a good time? And then the other person, often I'll say, Dan and I do this to each other all the time. And often I'll say to him, you know, like, oh, let me finish typing this email and I'll come right over or give me two seconds to finish this sentence or I'm going to need a half an hour. I'm sorry. But it gives me a chance to respond right away. And it doesn't create such a big break from what I'm doing. By initiating that interaction, you take responsibility for the interruption. It's not that you just hover about until they have to decide what they're going to do exactly. and how they're going to address you as you hover about. You, um, in some ways, hold yourself accountable for what it is that you're going to say and the way that you're impacting someone else's work time. So, those big three tips are watch out for sound and watch out for how you can isolate yourself with sound. Be careful about how you approach people, how you ask for their time and attention, and think about keeping your space clean. Think about the the, the visual, the cleanliness, the, the clutter contribution that you make to a shared space. Right. If a client walked in, do you think that they would they would be impressed with the space that they're seeing? That's always a good kind of litmus test in the back of your head. We really hope these common sense tips serve as a good reminder as we all buckle down and get ready for fall. You see what I mean about putting your best foot forward? Well, it's time for our Etiquette Salute of the Week, and it has been a crazy, maybe even once-in-a-lifetime election season, and we're not through it yet. This week's Etiquette Salute comes from someone working in the political trenches. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I just wanted to 
given etiquette salute. I work part-time as a political canvasser, so I walk door-to-door, knocking on people's doors and asking them if they're going to support my candidate. And I really appreciate it when people answer the door and are kind and offer me water. Or I had a lady give me an umbrella once when it was raining. And it's especially meaningful when the person, there's no way they're going to vote for my candidate. You know, I had a lady once who opened the door and was not going to vote for my candidate. And she said, but hang on a second. And brought me water and brought me like a little pack of cookies and said, feel free to sit on my stoop and just chill for a little while take a break. And I also really appreciate people who say, I'm not voting for your candidate, but I appreciate that you're out here supporting someone and learning about her constituents and what we want. Anyway, that's really meaningful to me when anybody does it, but especially when it's someone across the aisle, if you will. So thank you to all the people who treat me like a person while I'm canvassing, even though I'm interrupting your dinners. I love this salute from Rachel. Especially this year where it seems that we are so, so incredibly divided and that the hateful language seems to really surround both campaigns against the other. It's so wonderful to hear someone say, no, I'm talking to these people who are across the aisle and they're being considerate and they're being thoughtful and they're still standing their ground, but they're really behaving in a way that I think we would all be really proud of. So I'm really excited for this salute. Rachel, thank you for that reminder in this often trying election season. Well, now, wasn't that better? Look at the effect of a little politeness. Well, that's our show. Thank you for listening, and thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send your next question, comment, or etiquette salute to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can reach us by phone at 802-866-0860. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. As always, you can help us out. If you love the show, please subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner, and our show is produced by Chris Roberts. Thank you.